All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from Queens, the borough of Queens in New York City. It is the seventh day of December 2021. And I do want to remind you that I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. Uh, or you can call our office here in New York at uh, 718-457-1426. Uh, Chen Lin's letter, which we like to tout as well. Uh, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? ChenPicks.com is the place to go to sign up for Chen's excellent work. And then Michael Oliver's Momentum and Structural Analysis. You need to go to OliverMSA.com. And Michael will be with us in just a couple of minutes from now. I do want to thank all of you for making this show one of the more popular shows, the Voice America Business Channel. Also, encourage you to send along your questions, comments, whatever you might have to say about our show to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sponsors for today's show, uh, Novo Resources, El Oro Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., and Firefox Gold. I've titled today's show, How Long Until Inflation Breaks Germany and the World. John Rubino, Michael Oliver, Patrick Highsmith are guests today. Almost alone among the world's serious nations, Germany has, has citizens who remember the 1923 Weimar Republic hyperinflation, uh, or at least they have that in their mindset. Their parents remembered it. Uh, that was a time when newly destitute Germans burned their life savings to keep warm or carted wheelbarrows of cash to stores to buy bread and milk. This wipeout of an entire generation's wealth led directly to Hitler and World War II, arguably the two dumbest mistakes made by any country ever. It's important to note that in the recent past, before Deutsche Bank, uh, before Deutsche Bundesbank was replaced by the European Central Bank, short-term German interest rates were always set above the inflation rate in order to keep prices under control. Those days are over now. Since the Great Recession, German interest rates have been consistently below the rate of inflation, apparently to encourage even faster price increases. So the question becomes, how much more of this can Germany take before it breaks from the European uh, or from the European Union in an effort to save itself? Or will it simply go along with the Davos crowd towards implementation of a one-world government and a single global currency in which the German people have no control over. Meantime, as Daniel Martino Booth recently opined in an interview with Adam Taggart, it is 100% certain that the Fed will commit a policy error. The only question is whether it will trigger a massive deflation of the, infa- of the financial markets as it tries to get inflation under control, 
uh, and save the currency? Or will it allow inflation to run hot and then out of control to save the stock market? Or might we get a deflationary scare that is followed by a currency regime ending hyperinflation that results in a total loss of confidence in fiat money and the thieves in government and central banks are run out of town? Well, those and other topics are the ones we want to explore with John Rubino in the second half of today's show. Patrick Highsmith of Firefox Gold will join me right after the first commercial break to talk about the excellent progress that uh, that company is making in Finland. But right now, I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again to share his views uh, on these crazy, crazy markets. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. It's always good to have you back. But there's one thing I have to ask you. Normally... You're very certain. You seem to be very, very confident in your models. It seems that a little bit uncharacteristic of you, though, when you tell me that you're not quite sure which way gold is going in the short term. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Back prior to the November rally, as we were coming up out of the repeated sell-offs in gold based on uh, assumptions about tapering and so forth, redundant sell-offs, meaning you get a sell-off, it rally back up and erase the sell-off, then you get another sell-off, the same dimension, same price zone, and you did it like three or four times. Uh, we thought when you closed a week out during this quarter at 1825 or higher, we, we had a breakout level on quarterly momentum for gold. Uh, mm-hmm. It achieved that um, in mid, mid to late November, and you know, shot all the way up to 1879, but at the same time we issued that report, we also said we want to see consensus and agreement from silver. Mm-hmm. And we've specified a number on quarterly momentum for silver, which would shift its, that metric back into positive gear after you know, being in the muddle for the last year or so. Mm-hmm. And silver's peak weekly close during that November rally was less than two cents below our breakout number. Oh. I mean, that's how it got above it intra week, and it came back close the week like a, less than two cents below our trigger specified trigger number, and it was not some rounded off ten cent number. It was a twenty five thirty six was the number. Okay, the low, mm-hmm. high weekly close was twenty five thirty four four, and then it and then it dove. Okay, so silver didn't agree. Nor did GDX, the gold miner ETF. It, it stopped short. We had a number in the upper 35s. It stopped in the low 35s, $35 area, and dropped back. So we didn't have confirmation of the gold signal. So, you know, yes, we got a, a breakout in gold, but it wasn't agreed with by the, its you know, sister metal and the miners. And then we dropped back down. In the drop we had a week or so ago in gold, we hit some numbers that caused us to have some doubt about whether that drop would stop. It uh-huh. might continue and, and produce a, a rapid flush out. Uh, and our, our number was down to 1640 if it broke, if mm-hmm. it broke certain levels. Well, it nipped these levels and then popped back above them. But we're not getting the same action out of silver in the miners. In other words, uh-huh. so gold thrashing around here and creating, in our assessment, some doubt near-term doubt. Mm-hmm. But our opinion is this. The weakness that we've seen in gold since that false breakout has started to gel. If it doesn't come undone and start down again rapidly, like in the next week or two, it probably isn't. In other words, mm-hmm. our, our caution was unjustified. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there's another thing that's going to happen. The new quarter's coming up. And so when we measure things by a three-quarter average, 
That's mm-hmm. the point of adjustment because the number's going to change. You get into January, it's like 12 trading days away. Suddenly there's a new number facing silver and the gold miners. And that number is dropping, meaning that the breakout level we had for this quarter is going to drop. drops about a dollar for silver down the 24.40 level. Uh, weekly close. So you know, instead of 25-something, it's 24-something. And for GDX, it's in the 34s. We're mm-hmm. in the 31s right now. So mm-hmm. in other words, the upside breakout levels that they did not achieve in that November rally when gold broke out, they can achieve much easier once we get into the new quarter. Again, you know, uh-huh. trading ways away. So we're, mm-hmm. we're watchful. I suspect, and I, I'm almost counting the clock here, if the bears don't knock gold down, significantly in the next week or so. I don't think they're going to. I mm-hmm. think they've had just a, yet another one of these repeated overlapping sell-offs based on, in this case, it started down when? When they announced that Powell was renominated. Yeah. Monday, yeah. two weeks ago. So they dumped on mm-hmm. gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm tired of the taper talk. And I think in order yeah. to resolve that, you get to watch the stock market. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. We've spent... We've got some key numbers on the S&P and the NASDAQ 100 that have been danced above, and we adjust them up each week or monthly, depending on the metric. And the markets keep dancing just above the numbers, and the numbers rise each week or each month, such that, for example, the S&P is now in this sharp rally we just had. It's actually a thrashing up-down situation. It's about 4% above some death numbers. Mm-hmm. And it's our view that if you ever break that stock market and even just get it into a doubtful situation mm-hmm. where people say, hmm, is, is, was that a top? You know, mm-hmm. create some concern. Somehow the central bank is going to have to uh, reorganize its thought process and come up with some excuse as to why they're not going to raise rates or why their tapering is going to be less than they expected, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so watch the stock market. It's very important for gold because if it mm-hmm. begins to fail, the central bank will have to go into panic mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, it's almost predictable, it seems. That's what they've been doing yeah. year after year. And if the equity market starts to tank, but then you also have problems with the bond market and interest rates rising too. Michael, as you pointed out, I think a, a couple of uh, times when you were on with us recently, you saw the, the junk bond markets, the, the uh, corporate debt running into trouble and, you know, what happens yeah, when, it's, it's yeah, not and you have like, uh, the long-term government bonds, yes, uh-huh. that's quite right. Yeah, so you have uh, all this uh, pension fund money in, in these instruments and they start going south, you're in big trouble. Yeah, and the central bank knows that. I mean, they know that they're sitting on top of the biggest bubble in the history they've ever made. And if you go back and examine all these boom-bust cycles we've had, they're almost always, you can look at the Fed funds rate chart and see them coming. You know, they, mm. they lower rates real low, and the market takes off and re- relative to the prior lows, okay? And then the market gets too toppy, it starts down, and, you know, it, they raise rates a little bit as the market is strong because oh, the economy's better, okay? And all of a sudden, the market tops. So mm-hmm. it's another bust, okay? And then when that bust comes, what do they have to do? They have to come in and rescue the new bust to create a new bubble. Right. This is the biggest one they've ever made. It's 12 yeah. plus years old, and it's off the page. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's going to be interesting, yeah. but they don't have much maneuver room. No, they don't. As uh, there's no matter what they do, as Daniel DiMartino Booth said, they're going to they're going to have a failure. Um, you know, this, they've boxed they've boxed themselves into a corner. There's really no way out of this thing. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. then I guess the best thing we can do is uh, try to keep liquid. Uh, own some gold, physical gold in our hands, and I, 
I don't know. Have have good neighbors, I guess. That's another, yep, another thing. That's to right. Do. Have good neighbors. <laughs> have good neighbors. Yeah. Michael, thank you so much for sharing your time and your insights with us once again. It's always appreciated. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, we're going to go to break now, but don't go away because Patrick Highsmith's going to be with me. He's the chairman of Firefox Gold. And, you know, they're doing really well uh, in their early exploration efforts in Finland. Uh, it's a penny stock that I own enthusiastically and look forward to making a lot of money in it. I'm hopeful. Uh, so I'm looking forward to what Patrick has to say when we come back from the break. So don't go away. Be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Patrick Highsmith with us once again. He is the chairman of Firefox Gold Corp. And uh, Patrick has had a long history of uh, many years with major mining companies as an exploration geologist, companies like Rio Tinto, BHP Billiton, Newmont Mining. Well, you don't get much bigger and more important than that. So he's uh, now uh, in his senior, more senior years. He's still a young man, but in his more senior years, uh, helping out this a couple of junior mining companies, one of which... Uh, is Firefox Gold, and um, he's had a lot of experience from early discoveries all the way up to uh, feasibility, pre-feasibility studies anyway, so he's run the gamut in the exploration industry and around the world, I think something like 250, more than 250 projects he's worked on uh, from places all around the world, and that has really helped him to scope out some good opportunities, uh, one of which is in Finland, and that's what we, uh, he's here to talk to us today about. Thanks for joining me again, Patrick. 
Absolutely, Jay. Good to be here. You always call me a young man, so I'll just come <laughs> back while you do that. So. Well, I guess it's all a matter of perspective, you know. Compared to where I sit, you're you're, <laughs> you're a young man. <laughs> yeah, it's relative. Yeah. So anyway, um, I should let our listeners know: Firefox. It's FFOX in Canada. FFOXF in the U.S. One hundred three point four million shares. I saw it around twenty cents in U.S. money when I looked at it a little earlier today. Um, giving it a market cap, I guess, in U.S. money, around $21 million. Well, you know, Patrick, you have a huge 800-square-kilometer land position in Finland, uh, greenstone belt there that's underexplored compared to other major greenstone belts around the world. Just for starters, for the benefit of those that may not be familiar, can you give us an overview of the exploration efforts carried out so far by Firefox uh, and give us an idea of how those exploration, uh, how your exp- exploration work is proceeding. Well, Jay, I'm just back from two weeks in, in Finland, spent the middle part of November there. And really, it, it's just, uh, it's all sort of coming to a head at, at you know, kind of at the right time, Jay. I, and mm-hmm. we've been exploring there since 2017 when we founded the company. And we, we did so sort of near the bottom of the gold market, we thought. Uh-huh. And, and the doldrums continued, of course. But we, we've drilled every year since we created the company, Jay. And and really, we all know what happened in, in May of 2020 in Finland. Uh, our yeah. neighbor, Rupert Resources, announced a, what is now a 4 million ounce discovery uh, in the central Lapland greenstone belt. And that was really a kind of a vindicating pivot for the, for the belt and the perceptions of the belt. And since then, we've, we've brought in really quality new institutional investors, of course, guys like Crescat Capital and SSI out of Zurich. And, and, uh, and we've, we've just uh, kept accretively drilling, Jay. And the real news this year, most people have been following, of course, is our Mustiarvi project where we've, first announced some visible gold and we confirmed that bonanza grade interval with over you know 90 grams over uh, 1.35 meters and then we went back and undercut that in, in september and announced we drilled what, 17 meters of 16 and a half meters of almost eight grams there at mustiarvi so we've just completed four more holes at, at mustiarvi uh we're expecting the assays for those in uh, about january jay we the drill was just finishing the fourth hole when I left Finland a few weeks ago. Um, so uh, we, we've, we've gone back to Mustiarvi. We're about 3,200 meters, Jay, in, a, in about a 6,000-meter sort of first phase of this program that will take us through the end of January. And uh, it's really going well. The team's hitting on all cylinders, and we're drilling four projects in this drill program, Jay, four projects. And as you said, we've got 800 square kilometers. And there's really kind of how, depending on how you look at it, there's sort of 11 projects in there. Uh, but four mm-hmm. of those are fully permitted for drilling, and we're hitting them all in this phase of drilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what the objective uh, here at Mustagarvi was what? Um, this is your phase one program, I believe, is your first phase? This this is the uh, at Mustiarvi. This is the fifth uh, drilling program oh, okay. that we've okay. launched at the, at at that project, and uh, and really it's the first time we've drilled it. You know, within six months of each other, because the results have been so good. And you know, mm-hmm. we we counseled with our technical advisors, and after the public information was out, uh, you know, the high grade was out to the public. We we consulted with Quentin Henney, who who uh, has been an advisor to the company and our other technical advisors. And, and what we're doing with this phase, Jay, is pretty close step-outs 
around that bonanza grade zone. As yes. we said, it starts off with, with visible gold over 90 grams, and it gets a little thicker uh, mm-hmm. as we got a little deeper. And so based on the advice that a lot of senior folks and me and our young team putting our heads together with Carl, our, our CEO, what we did is we drilled three holes in the same section around that high grade. We, we've tested it down dip. Uh, in a couple of different holes, and we also came and drilled it from a different direction. So we're really going to nail the geometry of that high-grade zone with those three holes. And then yeah. we had this target out to the northeast, Jay. We went 750 meters away, and the fourth hole in this program is testing a, a geophysical anomaly and our first sniffs of gold on that big step out 750 meters away. So we're going to continue to do that. We're We're going to focus where the gold is, and we're going to develop that in three dimensions to the best of our ability, but we're also not going to forget about those new targets. And so that's what we've done at Moose CRV. Three close to the high-grade zone where we hope to learn more about that geometry and one hole testing a new target. And, uh, and stay tuned uh, because if, if, if we're going 750 meters away and hitting, uh, continuing to hit good gold, uh, that'll give us over 1.7 kilometers of strike of, of high-grade gold, Jay. So we're just thrilled with the rocks we've seen. We're thrilled with how that system keeps delivering. And uh, paved highway passing right through it, tremendous all-season access. Uh, so uh, Musti Arby's been good to us, and that's just one of the four projects we're drilling. Yeah, and you're starting on a second one now. I think I read in your latest one of your latest news releases that you have moved the drill over to a second one. Uh, as you, I think you mentioned, there are four drill-ready projects, four of eleven. But you're you're starting on a second one now. Uh, you started drilling on a second one. Which one is that, and, and what can you tell us about that one? You know, our other listing property, Jay, was called Yesio. Musti Army mm-hmm. and Yesio were the two we listed with. And Yesio is a huge property, about 30 kilometers east of Musti Arvi, where we were just talking about. And it's divided into multiple targets. The northern one is called Utsamo. And as we press released, we did a huge base of till sampling program there, which is how Rupert made the discovery at Ikari, of course. Really good exploration tool in Finland. And we took about 1,200 samples there. We press released those results. And I got the good fortune of pounding in the peg for the first drill hole on that Utsumo bot anomaly when I was there a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. And uh, we're going to drill several holes in that area, probably about 1,600 meters, I'm going to guess maybe in about five holes or six holes. And I think we're probably midway or two-thirds of the way through that. Now, this is on the major Serka shear zone, Jay, that big structure mm-hmm. that rips across the whole of the Lapland greenstone belt. There's a big mm-hmm. bend in it right here, and that base of till sampling gave us some really nice, robust anomalies in that area. So it's an early-stage property, but, boy, I mean, it's two kilometers south of Orion's big boulder discovery from 2017. There's gold all around this zone, and uh, we're just thrilled to have the focus from that base of till results. And uh, and the drill rig is uh, busy at Utsumo as we speak. And mm-hmm. um, next, it'll drop a little south of there, also on the huge SEO property, about 9 or 10 kilometers south to a prospect called Saitavara, where our mm-hmm. permits have just been issued and uh, and we'll also be taking the drill there. It might arrive before Christmas, but I imagine the bulk of that work will happen in in January. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's that's drill properties two and three. And then the fourth property is one everybody always asks me about. The good old Sarvi project uh-huh. which is immediately north of the Rupert discovery. So so that one always gets attention just because of the neurology 
And, uh, and now we're completing more and more work in the area there. And Rupert just announced a new discovery uh, on their Area 1 property just south of us called Heine Central, uh, in which they announced some great uh, new drill results. And uh, that's a kilometer closer to our property boundary. So about two kilometers probably from our Sarvi property are the new results that Rupert just announced from Heine Central, which are also quite exciting. Well. Wow. Very exciting, and I think Rupert has a market cap, I don't know, $700 million, something like that, maybe in Canadian money. Does that sound about right? I think it might be as high as 900 in Canadian money. It, it oh, moves okay. around a bit, uh, clearly, mm-hmm. Jay. But, yeah, they've touched a billion, I think, in Canadian dollars with this 4 million-ounce discovery. Uh, it's near surface. They've been able to advance it quickly. And the thing that's noteworthy about, noteworthy about these new results that are only – two kilometers from our property boundary is not only do they have a nice run 56 meters i think of good gold uh pretty near surface but also uh, it runs about 1.6 percent copper including oh. a high grade zone of four percent copper over 10 Ooh. meters now that's that's noteworthy to us jay because people who've been looking at our presentation have seen that at our sarvi property which is also in a swamp there isn't much outcrop there but in one of the areas where we got some outcrop samples, we have a gram and a half gold and almost 2% copper in ah. altered volcanic rocks that sound kind of similar to the, to the new results from Rupert. So mm-hmm. it's a great package of rocks to be in. The guys have done uh, a base of till sampling is happening there now to get ready for the drilling. And we don't expect the drill will get to Sarvi until about probably February uh, but nevertheless, fully permitted. In fact, new permits have just been issued. We've doubled the size of our Sarvi uh, project. We have about eight kilometers of strike length of, of a similar trend just north of Rupert, and it will see the drilling uh, during Q1 of 2022. So we're super excited to finally get to, uh, to drilling the Sarvi property with, uh, with good targets in hand. Well, let's see now. Nine hundred million dollar market cap compared to what did I say yours was? Something around twenty one million U.S. So twenty five, call it twenty four. Absolutely. Canadian. So uh, I think this gives yeah, investors look, a, a sense of the risk reward, and and of course you got many different properties to shoot at. It's is if one doesn't work out, there's possibility of another one. Uh, I just just want to ask because we're I think my engineer is telling me we're just about out of time for this segment, but let me ask you. You have uh, it, it, always the most important thing uh, is the people, and I think you're very, very positive about the technical talent that you have assembled there. Um, maybe you could just comment on the people that you have in your company, people, the, the feet well, on the ground. That, absolutely. The, the team in Finland is amazing. We've got four full-time geologists uh, uh, and uh, also a junior team behind them, and they're led by Carl Lofberg, our CEO, who's based mm-hmm. in Finland. We do our business in Finnish. We stake tenements in Finnish. We interact with our surface owners in Finnish. But we've got an international team of geologists there, two young men from Czech, uh, myself, Rich Goldfarb, Quentin Henney helping out to sort of lend the gray hair. But I've never seen the intensity in a team of explorers like we have in Finland, and, and you can see why, Jay. They've watched their neighbors, Rupert, make a multi-million ounce discovery. We've generated these projects. We've worked right through from the beginning. We've drilled every year. In good years, we drill more, and in bad years, we drill less. But the team is uh, hopefully seeing the support of, of management, the board, and, and finally a little bit in the market. And sure, we're at a pre-discovery valuation, but 
But look where Rupert was uh, four years ago, Jay. Not too yeah. much different than Firefox. So, yeah. so yeah, the team just uh, incredible to see the energy. Our exploration managers just built a house in the Arctic and moved his new wife uh, to the Arctic uh, within five minutes of our of our core facility and 15 minutes from one of our projects. So uh, that kind of commitment is rare anywhere in the world, and uh, we couldn't be prouder of the team. And I think when our corporate video comes out in the first quarter, I hope folks get a chance to get to know the team a little bit and see some of those faces I'm always talking about, guys like Miko Nininen and, uh, and our general manager, manager of exploration, Dr. Sven Hennig. They're just uh, absolutely top explorers, and I think these guys are going to get more than one discovery under their young belts. And uh, and uh, hopefully the Firefox shareholders are appreciative when it happens. That'd be great. Just in summing up here now, uh, how well funded is Firefox? And, and can you give our listeners some sense of what they should be watching for in terms of news flow as we uh, round out this year and head into 2022? Yeah, I think our last financials were at about 2 million Canadian. We're fully funded through at least 6,000 meters of this drilling program, Jay. And I say at least because we have millions of dollars of in-the-money warrants, uh-huh. uh, and that may be part of our financing strategy. But we will not be issuing equity uh, for the foreseeable future. So we have a strong, robust program. We expect to be drilling through May uh, without needing to raise money. And uh, the first quarter, January, we'll definitely see some initial uh, drill results, for, particularly from Musiarvi. Uh before then, we'll also probably have a bit of results from sampling at Sarvi, bot sampling and trenching. And so that should be really steady news flow all the way through the first half of the year, Jay, which we're excited about. That's the good thing about winter drilling. We get this great uh, sort of counter news flow that we see in the warmer latitudes here in North America. Yeah, that's, that's very true, although this year... Everybody's late from the lab, so <laughs> so drill, yeah. drill holes from the summer are being reported in January now. So, but, it, but anyway, yes, it's a it's a Absolutely. point well taken that to be able to drill through the winter is really a, a big plus, no doubt about that. Well, thanks so much, Patrick, for being with us again. Uh, it is a very exciting story, one I'm looking forward to, and uh, so much more coming uh, our way. I can see that with all those different projects. So, thanks again for being with us. Thank all right, you folks, always, Jay. we do have to go to break now, and. Um, don't go away, though, because I'm going to be back with John Rubino, and we're going to talk about some of those topics, uh, issues of inflation, deflation, you know, which way is the Fed going to go, how do you play it, um, Are we? is a hyperinflation really a, a potential? God help us if it is, uh, but there's reason to think you might be concerned about that. So uh, be sure to come back right after the break when uh, John Rubino joins me. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me John Rubino, once again, an old friend. I've known him for many years. He's really a, a regular guest on this show. And uh, what's really great about John, not only is his knowledge of the markets, and uh, but his uh, willingness to come on. Sometimes, every now and then, when I, somebody doesn't show up for one reason or another, has to cancel out. Uh, John has come to the rescue, and uh, that's always appreciated, but even more so his insights into the market because he, uh, he's been around the markets for quite a while, and, uh, but he's very smart, and, and he's very well-spoken, so he's easy, uh, an easy guest. John, thank you so much for joining me again. Hey, Jay. Well, thanks. Nice to be back. You know, um, you've written an article, How Long Until Inflation Breaks Germany, and I've added uh, to that, and the world question mark um you know i don't don't know but uh this this whole idea that germany you know with the german hyperinflation of course there have been others zimbabwe uh argentina and some of the south american countries have had these um you know these hyperinflationary events that seem to come every now and then but germany is the one we really think about it, it was one i guess because germany was such a, a was and still is a major country in the world but a, a power at that time um, they experienced this hyperinflation that really led up then, I guess maybe one of the reasons we think about it is it led up to Hitler in World War II. Can you talk about that experience, uh, how it impacted the German people, and how it still impacts the, the memory of Germans and the German people? Well, yeah, the, the inflation that we're experiencing right now is, uh, you know, it's a, a pretty intense thing for most countries. But for Germany, especially so, because um, almost, uh, almost alone among the major countries of the world, they've got a hyperinflation in living memory. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1920s, they, um, you know, created way too much currency. Their, um, the value of their currency just imploded and prices went straight up. And you've got all these pictures of Germans, um, you know, burning currency in the furnace to keep warm or mm-hmm. carting suitcases full or wheelbarrows full to the grocery store to buy bread and milk. Um, so for them, it's an especially big deal. And they've been especially serious about maintaining the value of their currency until pretty recently. Um, so, you know, if you look at a chart of um, German interest rates and inflation, you see that for, um, you know, most of that chart going back decades, they kept interest rates above the inflation rate as a way of maintaining the value of their currency. And then during the Euro era, especially since the Great Recession, that's reversed. Now their interest rates are much lower than their inflation rate and their inflation rate is spiking. So, um, you know, excessively low interest rates are by definition inflationary. That's what they're for is to make prices go up. And and so Germany is experiencing the beginnings of a fairly dramatic inflation um, in a culture that's inflation phobic. So, you know, this is a big conflict, a big dilemma for them, and it's not clear how they're going to resolve it because um, to go back to what where they would like to go, which is to um, have a strong currency with very low inflation, which they, you know, assiduously maintain, 
they would have to break the Eurozone because there's no way that Italy and Greece and some of the other weaker Eurozone countries could live in that kind of a monetary regime. On the other hand, to accommodate Italy and Greece and France to an extent, they've got to accept the current inflation as the new reality. And, you know, it's not clear that uh, the the Germans can do that temperamentally. So so they've got a big problem there. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because, you know, it's not clear what they're going to choose, which they would consider to be the lesser of two evils, um, a breakup of the Eurozone or raging inflation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for us, it's a serious deal to have prices going up 6% a year. To Germany, it's a cultural crisis. Uh, and we'll find out shortly because they've got a new government coming in. And, it, you know, it looks like a fairly liberal government. It looks like they're liable to choose preservation of the Eurozone in an inflationary environment over breaking up the Eurozone to maintain mm-hmm. the value of the old Deutschmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so it, that's one of the many interesting stories right now. There, there are lots um, of other interesting stories and scary stories in this inflationary environment because most of the, uh, for instance, the developing world, um, for them, that's much more serious, too, to have prices going up because they have a bigger percentage of their population living right on the edge where they're just covering food and gas for their car and rent. And so mm-hmm. you make the price of those things go up and all of a sudden they've got to cut one of them out and uh, they, they risk becoming destitute. And then they hit the streets and then you have civil mm-hmm. unrest and regi- regime change. Mm-hmm. That's what Brazil, Brazil and Chile and a lot of other countries in that category mm-hmm. are looking at. So this mm-hmm. is a, a very dramatic time. And in the U.S., we don't completely get how dramatic it is for a lot of other countries. No, we remember the Great Depression, which was the opposite problem. Of course, mm-hmm. a, strong, a strong dollar. And, and so we, our bias is always towards, I think, inflating and trying to avoid those issues, although I don't, I don't think uh, Keynesian economics uh, is the answer. But if anything, Keynesian uh, economics is leading us down this path towards, I think, inevitable inflation. But one thought that just occurred to me, John, is that um, 1920, you know, there's not too many people around. There may be a memory of that from the, you know, from the parents, and the grandparents, uh, but there's not too many people. So you get this fourth turning that, you know, the book, The Fourth Turning. Uh, you know, you, you get four generations or so, and the memories sort of fade, even in Germany, I would guess. And I'm wondering if that might not be part of the reason that Germany is, is willing to go in this direction, more liberal, dire- sort of so-called liberal direction of easy money. Yeah, that, that no doubt is a big part of it, because um, by the time you get to the, you know, the great grandchild stage mm-hmm. of the cycle, uh, they really don't remember what happened to grandma and grandpa back in the day, even though they hear the stories and everything. So uh, you could make the case that Germany, um, their, their culture has shifted to allow them to accept inflation mm-hmm. in a way that no way would they have done that in the, say the 1960s or 70s when mm-hmm. there were a lot of people who were adults in decision-making positions who actually remembered the hyperinflation. Um, but um, but yeah, that's that's probably what makes it possible for them to be in the position that they're in right now. Uh, yet, German culture is still very anti-inflationary, mm-hmm. and there is that. Uh, you know, you know, the guys running the uh, the Bundesbank have mm-hmm. always been the dissenters in the European um, in the Euro Monetary Union. They're, they've always been the sound money, low inflation guys. Whereas the uh, you know Mario Draghi and and uh, whoever's running the um, the French 
central bank now, you know, those, those people have always been way more comfortable with inflation. So um, to the extent that the new German government and the new bureaucrats they put in place are modern Europeans comfortable with inflation, then it's possible that that's what we end up with. The, the Eurozone just becomes a, a very inflationary environment going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in other words, prices go up at an accelerating rate from where they are now, and they're already very high right now. Um, yeah. Europe's going to have an outrageous winter, it looks like, with gas prices way up. And, and uh, you know, if the weather's colder than usual, uh, this is going to be brutal for a lot of people there. Well, on your website, dollarfinance, uh, dollarcollapse.com, your article, How Long Until Inflation Breaks uh, in Germany, uh, the article also included a, um, an excerpt from another, I guess it was from Reuters, uh, Germany's incoming finance minister rings alarm bell on inflation. So I guess, is, would that be the incoming finance minister from the new government? Yeah, they're, they're talking about um, wanting to raise interest rates. Mm-hmm. in the near term mm-hmm. and you know they, they face the same pressures we face here with the fed when they, they as soon as they try to do anything like that the, the financial markets just collapse and force them to go in the other direction mm-hmm. the ecb has if anything an even bigger problem because their economies are weaker and more diverse in other words they've got some really weak pockets there that could just blow up like if you forced italy to live within its means uh, that would be a catastrophe. They they just couldn't do it. So they would probably pull out of the Eurozone, go back to the, the Lira, and uh, the, the system would start to break up. And the guys running the um, the ECB and the Eurozone know that. You know, they, they know there's only so much they can do. Uh, they want to do what they can, but it's not clear what they can do. Uh, see, all the big central banks are in this box now where mm-hmm. they've uh, they've allowed things to get so out of hand that trying to rectify things, in other words, trying to go back to normal levels of interest rates, mm-hmm. would just blow up their economies because so much debt has been created, uh, a big part of which has to be rolled over, that if you raise interest rates, that debt rolls over at higher rates, which raises the interest costs for the borrowers, which bankrupts them, and then in turn bankrupts their creditors and so on, and you get this cascade failure of the system. That's what they're looking at. They, they're either going to have accelerating inflation with all the the instability that that implies, or a debt-driven collapse, mm-hmm. which, um, like you said, in the U.S., we can remember that. <laughs> Nobody wants to preside over something like that again. Yeah. Well, you know, um, it seems to me that there's no turning back once you get beyond a certain point. Um, you know, politically, it's all about kicking the can down the road and, and breathing a little. You know, it's like being on a respirator, I guess, until you, until the end comes. But um, yeah, it's a, it's it, I, you know I've got Charles Hugh Smith on my show next week, and he's uh, written an article why inflation is a runaway train. I don't know you may have read that article. I don't know, but I'm I'm going to have him on next week to talk. It just seems to me, you know, I've always been sort of a deflationist. It seems to me that what we could what we could see is, you know, a, a little bit too much tightening now, and it triggers. This is it's almost as if the economy's on a knife's edge. You know, one side or the other is 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 trouble. So if they get too much tightening, just a little bit too much, and because these guys can't really figure out what the collective, collectively, what the markets are going to do, they try. You know, this old Keynesian market theory, the the whole idea of, of being able to, you know, put into a computer the variables that will control society. It's just a little bit arrogant, and um, <laughs> I just I just wonder if you don't think that maybe, you know, we could see some. I mean, I thought, what, what do you make of 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 uh, Powell's pivot, the latest one here, 
you know, it's, uh, the market was spooked, it seemed, last week uh, because he was, um, you know, he was he was talking about the need to taper more quickly, and it was really hawkish, and the market seemed to be caught off balance by it. But here we go again. I mean, I saw a little while ago the Dow was up 500 points today. You know, the um, uh, Nasdaq was up 3% or something like that. What What do you make of this now? Which way are we? Uh, any comments about Powell's yes. Powell's latest pivot? Well, the, the almost unprecedented volatility that we've seen in the last week or 10 days is because there's so much extra money sloshing around out there. You know, we increase the money supply, depending on which measure you use, between 20% and 60% in just yeah. the last year. We flooded the system with money. It has to go somewhere, but it doesn't know where to go because yeah. it doesn't know what's going to happen next. So you see it pouring into stocks and then pouring back out of stocks. You know, if the NASDAQ is up or down by less than 2% in a day now, that's a boring day. You know, it used to be 2% move in the NASDAQ was huge. It's huge, now it's yeah. nothing. Um, and this kind of action, extreme volatility in both directions, frequently um, indicates the end of a run. Because now you've got, you've got people who are getting increasingly worried that we've gone too far, stocks are overvalued, the Fed is tightening, yada, yada. They want to sell. At the same time, you've got a whole generation of people who have been programmed to buy the dip. So, you know, one day the sellers predominate, the next day the dip buyers predominate, and you get these gigantic moves. And uh, th this kind of thing happened um, in the, the last cycle in 2007. Uh -huh. And then it was resolved by a gigantic crash. Uh, and it, it's completely possible that that happens again, that uh, this, this kind of volatility resolves into one directional volatility. In other words, it's volatile, but it's mostly to the downside. Mm -hmm. um, and especially if the Fed is going to do anything, see, they're just talking right now, but if they actually do any kind of tightening, um, then we are back in uh, 2008 range where the, the whole system starts to blow up. And uh, you've got so many bubbles out there that there's no yeah. way even to guess which bubble will burst first. You know, it could yeah. be the housing bubble again. It could be uh, cryptos. It could be, um, you know, decentralized finance that are related to cryptos. could be tech stocks. Yeah, emerging markets it goes on and on, you know, yeah. uh, it could be the bond market like Michael Pento is predicting, mm -hmm. but something will blow up and then it'll knock down the other dominoes and we'll have a, a crash that makes 2008, 2009 look like the good old days. Um, yeah. And that's a completely possible scenario. And, and another one is that the Fed caves immediately starts liquefying the system even more and financial assets just take off again. You know, that's also possible. Yeah, financial assets take off and the rich get richer and the middle class keeps shrinking and that's the way we go. But in terms of why money doesn't know where to go, I would I would submit that it has everything to do with the manipulation of interest rates. You know, if money uh, if 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 the price of money were allowed to be discovered by the market, that would allocate where money goes, but it's not allowed to, right? We're not allowed they they can't allow the markets to determine um what the real price of capital is. Yeah. Well, you could put it a slightly different way also that uh, we're artificially depressing interest rates. Mm -hmm. And so money knows what to do when interest rates are low. That's a signal, you know, right, in, right. When, when interest rates are artificially low, that's a signal to borrow a bunch of money right. and then throw it at whatever's hot. Right. So you get all these bubbles. And so the, they're, you know, the capital markets are reacting 
correctly in the moment to the yeah. incentive structure that the Fed has created, but it's an artificial incentive structure that can't last because it, exactly. it creates so many imbalances uh, that it only takes one imbalance, you know, one mini bubble to blow up all the other bubbles. And we're kind of there now. And that's that's a big part of the fear that's out there in the markets right now is that uh, th- this could very easily be the end of the latest um, bubble cycle. And since it's by far the biggest um, bubble market that's ever existed, it could be the end of the, the debt super cycle that started after World War II, uh, which I kind of tend to think it might be. Charles Hugh, Hugh Smith had um, another article about that, about how all the big cycles have shifted in a different direction now. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, interest rates have been going down, 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 down forever. Now they're, they're plateauing and starting to go back up. Um, the, the balance between labor and capital has been all capital for the last 40 years, which is impoverished labor. Well, now labor, um, there's a shortage and they're uh, striking and getting much higher wages. And so the, the cycle is shifting the other way. In other words, workers are starting to get more corp- of the corporate profits that are being generated than the owners are, which means corporations are going to be less profitable going forward, which means stocks obviously aren't quite as attractive as they would have been otherwise. Uh, and so there are a lot of other cycles like that that have all shifted in, the, in a different direction. And all of them point in directions that are bad for financial asset prices. Mm-hmm. So um, this, this massive shift in long waves, um, it's kind of, you could call it the Kondratiev wave or the, the fourth turning or, you know, all the long wave theories Mm-hmm. say that we're right at the end <laughs> you know they, they they all have different terminology yeah. they, they offer different time frames in a lot of cases but all of them basically say the same thing that we are royally screwed at the moment you know that we're yeah. heading into their version of winter and i yeah I, you know yeah. the numbers kind of that way yeah you just have to wonder what you know i mean equities should be priced so that it makes some kind of a reasonable return you know between dividends and retained earnings uh you know, after tax earnings, the shareholders should be rewarded. There should be some kind of a meaningful return. But what is that meaningful return when capital uh, is not allowed to be discovered? The price of capital is not allowed to be discovered because of the manipulation you talked about. And then the thing is, all this easy money seems to be fueling inflation. But inflation, as you just pointed out, in financial markets have become overpriced and they, they're way beyond what their intrinsic value is. So at some point, you have to think that this sort of good inflation that goes into financial assets, which is the way at least the ruling elite looks at it, uh, it's got to come to an end. It's just Mother, mother Nature is going to have its way eventually, I would think, John. But then the, the, these major turns come, and then if we're positioned right, uh, they, they can actually work to your benefit. And that's what we're trying to do uh, on this show is to help people and to position ourselves so that, uh, you know, when – you know, when when the hard times come, that we're positioned at least to survive and, and hopefully be able to help our families and, and our loved ones uh, when that comes. So I mentioned to you an article, I don't know if you had a chance to read it, by Tom Luongo, uh, Davos is making the central bank case for gold. Uh, did you by chance have a chance to, to look at that, John? Um, yeah, the um, the Basel III rules right. and the reaction of a lot of governments to them. Um, yeah make gold a lot more attractive. They, mm-hmm. they make gold a, a, a more important asset for central banks to own. And the, a lot of the European banks, see, the, the Asian banks have always, always been buying gold. Yeah. In, um, India and Russia and China. They, I they've guess been we accumulating. Should, 
I guess we should say physical gold as physical opposed gold. to as opposed to derivative gold or paper gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. as I understand it, Basel three makes it makes it not profitable for, for banks to have a bunch of those gold derivatives on their books or silver derivatives. Yeah, yeah. If they're going to trade in gold, they have to do it for real instead of in the mm -hmm. paper market. Uh, right. and, and that's theoretically going to chase a lot of the banks out of that market, which means there will be less manipulation going on. So there mm -hmm. won't be as much artificial depression of the price of gold going forward. At least that's the theory. And, yeah. uh, and okay, I'll take it. <laughs> you know, an honest gold market would have gold at $5,000 an ounce right now. Mm -hmm. and it could be that that's what we're building. Although, I got, Jay, I, I got to say, it's, it's hard to imagine the power structure doing something that takes away so much of their power voluntarily. Mm -hmm. You know, I keep waiting for the, um, the, oh, did you think we were going to do that? No, we we're going to, you know. <laughs> and, and so I, I, this is one of those, I'll believe it when I see it things, because yeah. it's so out of character for these people to actually give up power, but we'll see. Well, I, I believe that's right, but I think also that there could be geopolitical factors in play here. That, that I mean, we, we take for granted that uh, the Europeans and the U.S. is that we're always going to be in, you know, lubby-dubby, but it isn't necessarily so, I, 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 I suspect. Um, you know, there seems to be some fissures already between between us that are cropping up. And and part of what um, what Tom Luongo was saying has to do with exactly that. The uh, the Europeans um, are not able to re to to reflate as easily as the U.S. can. I don't understand exactly the mechanics of it, but as I understand, uh, individual European countries send their you know exchange their debt instruments uh, for euros, and so you know countries can create money. But he makes the argument that it's going to be in the European banks' interest to start holding physical gold, as opposed to. Um, you know they can't hold the, the, the paper gold, uh, and that the European uh, that the euro is likely to come under some pressure, and in order to defend the euro, uh, it's going to have to bulk up its balance sheets with with real physical gold. The banks are. I don't know if uh, time will tell, but he makes the case that Davos is unwitting and unwittingly. He would agree with you. They're not. The powers that be aren't interested in in going to honest money. They have the dishonest thing working for them very well, in terms of. Uh, gaining power and enriching themselves. So why would they ever want to do that? And I think the answer is they wouldn't unless certain parts of the global economy, um, you know, have an interest in doing that and other parts don't. But I don't know. We, we shall see, as you say, and that Basel III goes into effect uh, early, I think the first business day of January uh, for Europe, or for London anyway, the LBMA. Well, that, that just adds to um, the sense that 2022 is going to be a really fascinating year, doesn't it? There's an awful yeah. lot of stuff that's coming to a head, it feels like, and, and that's going to be the year when it happens. So um, add all the geopolitical stuff to yeah. the financial stuff, and what a year is coming up, a very scary one, because uh, we, we've already got um, Russia and China sensing U.S. weakness and mm -hmm. apparently getting ready to to resolve some stuff in their neighborhood that they couldn't get away with before, you know, take back Taiwan, um, neutralize Ukraine. And, and that right there would be enough to cause a gigantic financial crisis. If we, we have some kind of an almost shooting war. No, let's hope not. Let's yeah. Just, oh yeah. Let's, yeah. My God. Let's hope it. Let's hope and pray not. Well, I would just like to tell people uh, it's dollarcollapse.com. Go there to read any number of great articles that John writes and other people write 
Uh, here's uh, one, uh, the emerging alt economy, buy nothing. Uh, the one thing that John wrote on November 21st. Uh, John, any closing, anything else you'd like to say before we say goodbye today? Well, yeah, Jay, I, I would like to expand on what you said a, a minute ago about how this is actually an investment thesis, all this gloom and doom stuff. You know, there, this kind of um, of change creates a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what we should be doing, instead of just lamenting the fact that our world is going crazy, we should be thinking about how we make money from this and how, uh, how we protect our families. And your newsletter is a great place to start. The junior gold miners and silver miners are, are eventually going to be like the dot-coms of this cycle or the, the cryptocurrency of this of the next yeah. cycle you know where, where they go way up and uh, yeah. so I agree. you know that's our chance all right all right thank you we'll have to leave it at that uh, i agree with you of course and i think our time is very close uh, at hand but we do have to leave it go um next week i'm going to have quentin henning with me uh, to talk about lrl resources and charles hugh smith as i said will be with us to talk about why inflation is a runaway train until then goodbye and god's blessings to you Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.